A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. You may have a seat. As the winter winds start to whisper and the world transforms around us, surrounded by the warmth of our homes, the twinkle of lights, and the songs of the season. It's a time of anticipation, of joyful preparation for something extraordinary is about to happen. Gazing upon the same starry skies that shone bright on that miraculous night, we remember the greatest arrival of all time. Christmas isn't just a season, it's a proclamation of hope, a reminder of a promise fulfilled. So this Advent, as we celebrate the birth of our Savior, let us also prepare our hearts for his glorious return. For just as the first Christmas brought hope to a broken world, the promise remains, the King is coming. Good morning, Rise. Merry Christmas. Good to see all of you. As we're continuing on in our Advent series, today we are diving into the story of the wise men, and we're going to be focusing on that star that they followed that long distance to Jesus. And so I have a question for you. I want you to think about it. Uh, when was the last time that you looked at the stars? And I don't, I, I don't mean just glanced up, to, up at them, but you really took in their beauty. When was the last time? At least it wasn't in the last couple of weeks, right? Because of all the rain. But maybe, you know, it's, for me, it's one of my favorite summer activities. Uh, when I was working up at Trout Creek Bible Camp out there, I would go out at like probably midnight and, you know, that's the best time to see the stars. So you lay in this grassy field with these giant walls of evergreens that are scratching the sky and you look up and, and you see the shimmer of these stars. And... I, when I'm in that moment, I can't help but consider how beautiful and amazing our God is that created such a beautiful and amazing sky 
It's like a painting. It's beautiful. And what's crazy about this is that astronomers whose whole job is to study the stars talk about how those stars, like the light from those stars reach our eyes. And they measure it, actually. They, they have this measurement from the star that emits the light to till it gets to Earth, and they call these light years, okay? So let's just say, for example, that a star is a thousand light years away from Earth. That means when that star first shows up in our night sky, the light that we are seeing is light that was emitted 1,000 years ago, okay? And this is crazy because we are talking about this night where the star appeared, this moment. And, and what it makes us realize is that this wasn't just this moment. It was actually the plan was set into motion thousands of years before by God creating this star. And then that star would, this specific star, and the plan was set in motion with that creation. And so Jesus was set to come. And the star would rise and the wise men would follow it thousands of years before. And what we, what we need to see through all of this uh, with the wise men is that they knew that this would take place and they waited in eager anticipation for that moment. And, and as a star rose, what we see is that these wise men come out of the east and in verse one here, they come out of the east and probably most likely Persia where the Israelites had been taken into exile. They've been captive over in Persia. And so these, these wise men, we can assume they knew these Old Testament scriptures, these prophecies that God had spoken about a coming king, an anointed one or a, a Messiah who would be in, in the line of David and not just rule over Israel, but over the entire world. And specifically, they knew to look for a star because of one specific prophecy. And this specific prophecy was proclaimed by a man named Balaam, okay? And Balaam was not an Israelite, but he was a diviner. He was a diviner. And so he was hired by a Moabite named Balak, okay, Balaam, Balak, very similar, but Balak uh, to curse Israel. He was like, hey, I, these are my enemies. I want you to come curse them. So he hires Balaam, and he's like, all right, you got to curse him. But before Balaam accepts, he has this moment where God shows up and says, okay, Balaam, we're going to send you. We're gonna, you're going to go. But... You are only going to say what I'm going to tell you. And when the God of the universe shows up to you and says, you're going to say what I, I'm going to say only, you're like, aye, aye, captain. I'm right there with you. Like, this is what I'm doing. And so Balak takes Balaam to the, the outskirts of Israel, and he has him there, and he's like, okay, curse him. And Balaam's like, okay, I know the drill. So he's like, hey, build me seven of these altars to sacrifice, and let me go and ask the Lord uh, what, what to say. And so he goes away and he asks the Lord and the Lord says, you cannot curse Israel because I have blessed them. And Balaam's like, okay, I'm, uh, I'll, I'll relay that, that information. And so he goes to Balak and he's like, I can't, I can't do anything because God has blessed them. And Balak is furious. He's so mad. And so he, he's like, well, maybe we just got the angle wrong, so we got to move around the city to the other side, okay? And we're going to try again this way. And so he's, Balaam's like, okay, so set up the seven altars. Let me go talk to the Lord and, and, and ask what to do. And the Lord is like, 
Balaam, dude, you cannot curse Israel. I have blessed them. They are blessed. And so Balaam walks back and he's like, hey, Balak, I'm sorry. I can't do it. They do this another time. They do this a total of three times, okay? It's crazy. He tries over and over, but God says, no, I have blessed Israel. And, and during this kind of third time, it, uh, Balaam has an oracle. He speaks an oracle, uh, and this is like the, what the Lord had told him to say. And so he talks about, you know, I can't, I can't curse them because God has blessed them. And then he turns to uh, Balak and says, and actually, let me tell you what Israel is going to do to you and all their enemies, how they're going to triumph. And he, he gives this prophecy about a, a coming king that would arise out of Israel and defeat the enemies and become the king of the world. And, and here's what he says in Numbers 24, 17, word for word. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He is speaking about Jesus. And they, they know to look for this star because he says it. A star will come out of Jacob. And so this prophecy, the, th these guys knew this prophecy and they trusted it. God had planned that star for thousands of years before, and he had been giving words to his prophets and spoke through them for generations before. So these wise men knew these scriptures. And the question becomes, what were they left to do after understanding the knowledge? They were left to wait in eager anticipation for the coming hope in the Messiah. And this is what you and I are called to do today. Christmas is a season of anticipation. We are counting down the days. 15 days till Christmas, right? Hope you did your shopping. Uh, and I, I know I love having a calendar to keep it in mind because it's just such an exciting day. And, and as a kid, you know, you get off winter break and you have a great time spending time with your family or an okay time if you have siblings, but uh, you're spending time with your family anticipating, 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 and until, until it comes to Christmas Eve, where you're like so excited you could explode. You're wired, okay? Trying to go to bed on Christmas Eve as a kid is probably in the top 10 hardest things any human being has ever done. Because you're just so awake and you're like, what's gonna happen? I, maybe I'll see Santa Claus. You know, you set out the, all the traditional stuff, the, the milk and the cookies, and you're like waiting there. And you know, you nod off at like 1 a.m., and you wake up at 5 a.m., absolutely insane, ready to go. Like, oh my goodness, it's Christmas. You run up and wake up your parents. And it's just such an exciting time. We are anticipating this moment, this exciting moment where we get to spend time with family and open these presents. And you know what we're doing? We are reenacting what the wise men did. We are waiting in eager anticipation for celebrating the birth of Jesus. Now, we are on the other side of history. We know that Jesus came, but we get to reenact this moment, this excitement, this anticipation. And us as Christians today, we also are waiting for Jesus to arrive, right? His second coming, when he's going to return and make all things new. And so we know, just like the wise men around the time and the day and, and maybe what it's gonna look like, but 
we need to wait in eager anticipation, diligently watching and paying attention and working to see the Lord Jesus come. We need to read our Bibles. We need to understand what God tells us in here, the prophecies that he explains to us. We need to study them to understand what Jesus calls us to do here and now in preparation of his arrival. But, but knowing something and doing something are two completely different things. The wise men were, they became wise because they actually followed the star. Just because they knew the scriptures and how it all would go down and they understood the star would rise and the Messiah would be born. Just because they knew that didn't make them wise. It made them smart. Yet we call them wise because they stayed ready. And as Soon as they saw that sign, they set out with one mission, to worship the newborn king. Look at it here in Matthew 1, 1 through 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. See, wisdom isn't just knowing, it's doing something. They were obedient and had faith in God to trust the scriptures and that what God had said would actually come true. Compare that with what we find in verses three through six. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will be shepherd of my people. So what we see in, in these verses is that Herod is troubled because he's kind of like, oh, there's a new king on the scene. Should I be like jealous? Should I be scared? He's, he's shook, for real. But he, then all Jerusalem is troubled, right? They're all freaked out. Because when your king is freaked out, he's probably not going to treat you really nicely. So, so it's just this moment where they're afraid. And who does Herod call in his fear? He calls the scribes. And, and the chief priests, the people who know the Old Testament scriptures forwards, backwards, inside out, and upside down, they know them. They've memorized them. And he's like, hey, where is the Messiah going to be born? And they're like, oh, it's in Bethlehem. They know. They know the signs to look for. They know where he's going to be born. They're really smart. But this passage does not call them wise. Because they had all the knowledge, but they seem so indifferent about actually going and experiencing and worshiping Jesus. They did nothing. See, Charles Spurgeon puts it like this. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge or the correct use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many, went, excuse me, many men know a great deal and are all greater fools for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. To know how to apply the knowledge. 
we need to be wise as we follow after Jesus. As disciples, when we're called to follow after him, Jesus has this calling, Luke 9, 23. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. See, following Jesus is not just a subscription to ideals. It's not a subscription to right theology. It is a daily picking up our cross. It is an entire life transformation that needs to take place. It's an action with intention behind it. I grew up uh, at Chalk Creek Bible Camp, and one summer I was a camper there, and I felt the Lord through this week calling me to be a missionary, to go and proclaim the gospel to the nations. And I was like, okay, this is, this is what I'm going towards. I was in middle school. I was like, this is what, this is what I'm doing, okay? And I, I found myself at Rise for my, my first time, and the sermon that they gave was, be a missionary in your city. And I was like, that is mind-boggling. That's that's great. Lord, is this what you want me to do? Like, I'll, I'll do it. And I felt the Lord say yes in that sermon. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be in ministry. I'm going to be a missionary in my city. And, you know, if you want to be in the ministry, you go to a Bible college. So I went to Multnomah University, and I studied God's word. I did the assignments. I, I put in the work, and I learned a lot. And I found myself in that time while I was there, reading, learning, come to a, an awareness that I could know the Bible without knowing the author of the Bible. I could come to know all the facts and right answers and correct the, I could debate you in theology like, and be right and, and completely dismantle your argument, but would I know Jesus? So you can get a, a big head and lose the beauty of scripture, if we just become focused on knowledge, it's more than just knowledge. It's, it's a knowing of a person. The wise men, through their actions, followed the star and used it as their guiding light as they moved forward. And, and this is essential. We need to have action, but it must be guided and fueled by relationship to Jesus. It cannot be legalistic, self-righteous by my own strength, you know, white knuckle. I'm going to do it. No, like, it, it won't last. People have tried and they failed. And it can't be lay around and, you know, God says he's going to take care of everything. So I'm just going to let him do it. I'm just going to watch Netflix all day. Like, it can't be that either. It's a participatory, relational guiding that God does. We need to participate in it. We need to know him. And, and there has to be a balance in between being guided by Jesus. That's the balance. And, and it begs these questions. Do you know Jesus? He's just reflecting. Do you know Jesus? Not, not know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Are you close to him? Do you know his word? And, and are you moving and headed in a direction guided by him and drawing closer to him? Jesus' focus is relational. And we only go deeper in the gospel as we get closer to Jesus. And as we take steps forward, picking up our cross daily, following Jesus, it will last if it's based solely on him. And as we spend this time, we'll be able to discern what he calls us to, how he, 
how he calls us to act in this world and then have the energy and the courage and the power from the spirit to act it out, to, to follow through, to be wise. And some of you might be saying, hey, that might be difficult. <laughs> that might be hard. Jesus has these encouraging words. I have said these things to you that in me you will have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Life is difficult. Jesus is not naive. He knows it well, that life is hard. Yet he promises us the very thing we need, which is his presence with us. And it is the greatest thing we could ever ask for. Him walking with us through every trial, through every difficulty, and having him to to point us in the right direction point us towards him. So we wait in eager anticipation. We act on what God has communicated and how he is guiding us as we dive deeper into relationship with him. But, but there's a key moment that takes place in this story. They arrive at the house where Jesus was. And they finally accomplished their journey, their long journey from the east and they accomplish what they set out to do, to meet this Messiah. And so guided by the star, they meet him, the one who will rule, the king, Jesus. Matthew 2, 10 through 11 says this, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down, excuse me, and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. Listen, they were joyful even just to see the star. They're like, God's guiding us. But they, like, how much more joyful were they when they met Jesus? They got to see Jesus, and their response is they fell to their knees, and they worshiped him. And they gave these three gifts of gold and frankincense, and myrrh. And I kind of want to talk about what each one of these means and how for you and me, it can be a, a guide to the gifts that we can present to Jesus during this Advent season. And so the first one is gold, right? Re- representing his royal status. Gold is something you would give to a king. So they give it to Jesus. And we have something during this Christmas season that is worth arguably more than gold, As the old maxim says, time is money. Time is money. One of the most valuable resources we possess is our time. That's why we do like Uber Eats and DoorDash. You know, hey, you got to go pick up my food. I'll pay for it. Like I don't even, money is not an issue. My time is really important. And so we need to recognize that and understand that if our time is really that important to us, how much of it are we investing and giving as a gift to Jesus? And so this Christmas season, what would it look like for you to just regiment out every day? I'm going to spend 20 minutes, morning, afternoon, evening, whatever time, but 20 minutes to read his word, to pray, to sit with him. I think it would change how we celebrate this season. And the next thing that we see is they give him frankincense. And 
you might have read this and been like, Frankenstein? Because <laughs> that's what I did. <laughs> but frankincense is a sap, okay? It's like a resin little sap. And it's it said, uh, it, it smelled really good, and it's said to represent his divinity, his divine, that Jesus isn't only our king, but he is our divine God. And so in this busiest season of the year, it's so ironic that we spend so much time running around trying to check off our to-do lists and be the one to orchestrate the family event and plan and prep and do all these things. What I would what I ask you to consider is, what would it look like to take one day off? One day off a week, a Sabbath day, to say, no, I'm not gonna work. I'm gonna spend time with my family enjoying the Christmas season. Spend time with loved ones and, and remember that my finances are his. My food comes from him. My clothes comes from him. It will be okay because he is God and I am not. So we need to remember that and practice it, that he is God and we are but human beings. Myrrh also is a fragrant sap that is said to represent, it's like kind of bitter to the taste, represent his bitter suffering that he would endure on the cross, that he would go through. And maybe this Christmas, uh, your gift to Jesus is to suffer with him a little bit. And what I mean by that is we all have these people, these loved ones that are so dear to us but really drive us crazy and really <laughs> tick us off and make us mad and drive you up a wall. Like it's, we all have those people, right? And, and I'm not saying, listen, you might be right, you could be wrong, I have no idea. But what if this Christmas season we worked and asked the Lord to help us love those people, suffer with Jesus, take the hit and say, how can I love them like Jesus? And not even love them like Jesus, but like serve them like Jesus would. Go out of our way. I think of uh, Home Alone, you know, Kevin's neighbor, old man Marley, right, the creepy guy. They called him the, the South Bend shovel slayer because they were so scared of him, right? He's this mean, old, crotchety guy. And I'm like, what we realize throughout the story is that it all stems because he has this breakdown of relationship with his son. That, that he misses his son, but he's mad and angry and there's this tension. And The end of that movie, right, is this heartwarming moment. It's not even about Kevin's parents coming home. It's that this old man Marley reunites with his son and begins to reconcile that relationship and begins to work on that relationship. And so maybe this season, we need to put our pride on the shelf <laughs> and say, Jesus, would you help me love that, that person? Would you help me love them and begin the, restore, the restoration process in our relationship and be actively praying and asking for God's help because without him, <laughs> right, it's hard, but with him, we can love those people well. So these are gifts that you and I can bring to Jesus this Advent season. I, uh, last weekend, we had Santa's workshop in here on Saturday, and 
there was all these tables where people could do crafts. If you don't know what it is, it's an outreach event to the community. We bring everybody in here. It was like packed to the max. It was crazy. We had Santa Claus on taking photos and stuff. We also had a telling of the, the Christmas story. And I was blessed enough to be able to be a part of that. And uh, I got to be, be Joseph. My wife was uh, Mary. And, you know, we did this show over and over again. There's a lot of other people that helped. But we did the show over and over and over again. But there's one moment that I don't think I'll ever forget. There was this little girl who came up and she was wanting to see the baby Jesus. And so she came up with her brother and her mom. And, you know, the mom is smiling and the little girl's looking at Jesus. And, you know, we're supposed to be Mary and Joseph. So we're like, hey, Merry Christmas. Good to see you. Trying to be nice. Except I noticed that the brother seemed a little awkward, just like, he didn't want to be there is what I read it as, but like, he was just like, kind of looking at the baby, looking at us, just kind of like gazing. Um, but he looked at us and he turns to us and he, he pulls out this. And this was a craft that he had made at Sam's workshop. And he hands it to us and says, hey, I, I want you to have this. And you know, being an adult, I'm like, well, you just made this craft, and this event is for you. Like, this is your craft. We don't want to, like, steal it. Like, it feels a little weird. And I was like, are you sure? Like, are you sure you want to give this? And he's like, yeah. And he gave us this gift. And what I realized that he wasn't giving a gift to the performers for their great presentation. He wasn't giving a gift to Mary and Joseph. He was giving his gift to Jesus. This was his worship. He had worked hard on this. He had built this with his own two hands. And he offered it as a sacrifice saying, no, I want to honor Jesus and gave it. What gift are you going to bring this Christmas? We all have a choice when it comes to Jesus. We're either going to worship him or worship ourselves and our plans and our agenda. And the wise men gave these expensive gifts, but I'm brought back to this little boy who gave what he had. Give what you can. Give what you have. And as these wise men worshipped, I think they got the better end of the deal. They gave these expensive gifts and all these things, but they got to see Jesus, the Messiah, God, who came in the form of human flesh, God incarnate, who came to rescue the world. When we bring our worship, when we bring our gifts, we get, we get to encounter Jesus, this Jesus who was born as a baby in Bethlehem, lived an incredible life, healing the lame, the blind, the leper, the sick, and walking that cross, the road to that cross, dying in the place of sinners. Yet he rose to new life rescuing us from death, from sin, 
from the enemy. That's what we need to celebrate during this Christmas season. Jesus needs to be at the center of it all. So when you go out from here and you hear a Christmas carol, it's actually a star. When you see all the lights strung up on the houses and in the windows, that's, that's actually a star. When you exchange gifts on Christmas morning, that's actually a star. And all these traditions and reminders that we have are stars. But the point of Christmas is not the stars. It's where the stars are pointing, and that is to Jesus. So let this season, this Advent season, point you to Jesus and be wise as you follow after those stars that lead you to our King, our God, and our Savior. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus. Thank you. What can we bring? What can we say or do to worship you enough for what you have given us? Lord, let these stars and the, the traditions of this Advent season draw us closer to you. Lead us closer to you. We need you, Jesus. We love you. We pray all these things, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.